You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians this morning, if you would, Ephesians chapter number 5. We're closing out Ephesians 5 today. We've been uh, actually going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians for, uh, since the beginning of last year. And we're uh, heading into the very last chapter. Uh, so as we, uh, as we get closer to getting, I think we've, uh, we'll finish out the book of Ephesians by, I believe, the end of the summer time frame. And so then we'll move on to our next uh, book of the Bible that we study through. But uh, we've been taking a look over the last several weeks at marriage and what the Bible says about marriage and how it should work and how it should function and the different roles that we have in marriage and how a husband should treat his wife and how a wife should treat her husband. Uh, but the overarching picture that we have here is how Jesus interacts with his church. And that's what we're taking a look at today, the relationship of Jesus uh, with his church. Uh, Ephesians chapter number five, uh, we're gonna start in verse number uh, 21. If you've missed any of the messages so far, uh, you can always get caught up on our website at huicala.org. You can subscribe to our podcast. We even have a smartphone app for your phone or your tablet. You can uh, listen to messages that way. Whatever you do, don't uh, miss out on any of these messages uh, that we've been taking a look at. The last three weeks have been They've been pretty heavy messages for sure. We're taking a look at gender roles and what the Bible says about how a man should act and how a woman should act. We've been taking a look at the role and responsibility of a husband inside marriage. Last week, we took a look at the role and responsibility of the wife inside marriage. This week, we're taking a look at our responsibility collectively to Jesus Christ and how marriage is a picture of that. So uh, Ephesians chapter five, we're gonna start in verse number 21 this morning. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. He might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church, who are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they Two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. I remember uh, growing up in church my entire life, uh, Three times a week we were in church. If they were having something uh, going on at the church, we were there. If they had a special Bible study, we were there. If they were offering a class on Saturdays, our family was there. If they had a fish fry on Friday night, we were there. Just it's what we did. Uh, our family growing up built our life around the church. And I believe that's a very, very healthy thing as long as you keep your priorities right. And we'll talk a little bit about that in just a little bit. But as I began to get, uh, I don't know, probably around 14, 15, 16, I began to read the Bible for myself and began to, to explore Christianity for myself, uh, I began to be um, concerned about some things that I saw in the church that I grew up in. Uh, I would read passages like this where the church was to be holy and spotless uh, like a bride on her wedding day. But then I would see people in our church that weren't living that way and living in open rebellious sin before God and everybody kind of turned a blind eye to it. 
I remember in our youth group growing up, we had probably 15 or so kids in our youth group. It was a small uh, youth group in a really small church in a super small town in, in the middle of Kentucky. Uh, but in our youth group of about 15 folks, um, uh, it was common knowledge that most of the kids in our youth group drank alcohol. Most of the kids in our youth group would go to parties where uh, people were uh, using drugs. It was understood in our youth group that many of the kids uh, in our youth group were sexually active during that time. And I remember thinking to myself, if Christianity is true and the Bible is true, then Christians shouldn't live this way. I remember uh, I was a um, junior in high school and our, our pastor's son, uh, who was also a junior in high school, my same age, uh, had gotten his girlfriend pregnant. Uh, and if you look at the Bible, the qualifications of a pastor is that he rule his house well, and if he can't do that, then he shouldn't be fit to pastor. And I remember our pastor got up on a Sunday night and he was crying before the congregation, was apologizing for what had happened. And he says, you know, I'm willing to submit my resignation if that's what you guys want uh, because I don't feel fit to pastor this church. And I remember one of the older men in the church came up and put his arm around and says, preacher, we're with you, just keep on preaching. And I sat there, as, as I was 17 at the time, I thought to myself, this just doesn't jive with scripture. I remember I got home and I asked my dad, I said, dad, what I see here and what I see in the Bible doesn't match. If we're supposed to be a holy, separate bride of Christ, then why are we allowing and turning a blind eye to sin? If I live to be 100, I'll never forget the words my dad said to me that night. And my dad is a good man that loves the Lord. He just didn't know any better. He said, well, son, that's just the way things are sometimes. And that just didn't sit well with me. I began to see other types of hypocrisy in our church uh, and the fact that our uh, youth pastor would sometimes take us to the movie theaters and would drop us off at the movie theaters and uh, a lot of us guys would go watch the latest uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, R-rated flick, and we'd get back in the van and, and he'd ask us how it was and things like that. And then I began to think to myself, if Christians really believe what the Bible says, we shouldn't be watching movies with nudity and movies with foul language and stuff like this, but our, our leadership, our authorities that God's given us say that that's okay. Remember the pastor of our church would come by my dad's body shop uh, during the week. He would talk and chit-chat with the guys that were working there, and he would uh, sometimes tell dirty jokes or tell racist jokes and things like that. And I thought to myself, this just doesn't feel right to me. And so as a teenage boy, I'd made a decision in my mind that I love God, I love the Bible, but church is fake. It's phony. It's for hypocrites. It's for people who act one way on Sunday and do something else the rest of the week, and I have no use for that whatsoever. And so uh, never mind the fact that I was part of the hypocrisy that was taking place there, uh, because how many of you know it's always easier to point out everyone else's flaws than to look in the mirror at your own? And I didn't realize at the time I was part of the problem uh, of the hypocrisy in the church. And then uh, I remember leaving uh, uh, home at 18. I joined the Navy out of high school, and I remember to thinking to myself, man, I'm so glad I never have to go back to church ever again as long as I live. <laughs> that was supposed to be funny uh, because I'm a pastor now. Uh, but I thought in my mind at 18 years old, I'm never going back to church as long as I live because that is just no good for nobody. And then uh, Angela and I got married, and we thought, you know, we, we probably need to do this whole church thing. And we started going to a church. We looked for a lot of different churches. And uh, we went to probably, we just moved to Honolulu, and we went to probably, I would venture to say, at least 18 different churches in town looking for a fit. I didn't really know what we were looking for. I just knew it was one of those things, I'll know it when I see it, right? Uh, and so we had, were baby Christians. We didn't know what criteria we were looking for and what made a good church different from a bad church and things like that. But I remember this one church that we had gone to, the church we ended up landing in, and uh, really changed our lives. Uh, we were sitting there, we, it was probably our second Sunday we were going there, and, and uh, the pastor from the pulpit said, well, this is one of the reasons why our daughters don't date unsaved guys. And, and I like perked up, I was like, did he just say what I thought he said? 
because the Bible says you shouldn't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And this just blew my socks off because I knew that was in the Bible. I've never heard anybody actually doing that before. And I was just like, I'm intrigued, I'm interested. These people really believe what the Bible says and they don't just say they believe it, they actually live their life by it. Tell me more of this. And the more that I began to dig out, I began to realize there are real deal committed Christians in the world that we live in today that just wanna do what the Bible says. And I thought to myself, I wanna be that kind of Christian. I don't wanna be the Christian that shows up on Sunday and then does everything my own later, the rest of the week, and then comes back on Sunday, sings some songs, puts on nice clothes, and tries to put on a show for everybody, because that is hypocrisy. Now, before we go any further, it's important to understand what the word hypocrisy means. The word hypocrisy does not mean that you will sin, because all of us, until the day that we see Jesus face to face, will sin. That's just part of our nature. It's woven into our DNA, it's who we are. But hypocrisy is, the, uh, the word that's used for hypocrisy in the Bible is one who puts on a mask. They know what they are on the inside, but they put a fake mask on for everybody to see, knowing full well who they are on the inside. That's hypocrisy. And it would be foolish to think that there's not somebody in this room this morning uh, that has come to church and put on your best Sunday look, but inside you know what's going on. If that's the case, friend, fix it today. There's nothing more tiring than living two separate lives. There's nothing more difficult than trying to keep up a show or keep up appearances. It's exhausting. So I would encourage you, if that's you today, man, repent of it and, and move on. What people will sometimes do is say, well, uh, that church makes me feel, uh, feel like I need to change or, or the preaching there makes me uh, feel like there's some things in my life that need to be made right. So rather than make them right, I'm gonna find a church that doesn't preach hard things. Don't do that. Uh, we want to follow the Bible because you will always find joy when you follow God's plan, 100% of the time. When you do it your own way or you take God's standard and you cut it in half, you lose every single time. Don't do that. Find God's best. So, Hui Kala is not a perfect church, never will be, uh, because it's made up of people who are imperfect, this guy included. Every single one of us has things that we're working on in ourselves. None of us here today have arrived. And it's easy sometimes when you come into a new church or maybe you've been in a church for a little while to feel like I feel so out of place because everybody else around me has it together and I'm just a big, huge mess. What you'll find if you ask around is the people that are sitting to the left and the right of you and in front of you and behind you this morning feel like a big, huge mess that are really just trying to get it all together. And that's where we are. We're a bunch of broken people who have no hope outside of Jesus Christ. This is not a room full of perfect people. This is a room full of sinners in great need of God's grace. And without God, every single person in this room is toast. We need God's help. But he has expectations for his church he has expectations for who we're supposed to be. You see, at Hui Kala Baptist Church, there's several things that we're, we make a big deal out of. First of all, we love Jesus, big time. Uh, he is everything to us. Everything is built around Jesus Christ. He's not one of the things that we talk about. Sometimes he's something we talk about every single time we gather together, whether it's a Sunday morning, or whether it's a Sunday night, whether it's a Wednesday night, whether it's a Tuesday night connect group over on the Windward side, whether it's a Friday night connect group uh, on uh, Friday nights for our single adults, whether it's a Saturday morning outreach that we go out, it's all about Jesus all the time. And so we make a big deal about Jesus here. Secondly, we love people. You know why? Because Jesus loved people. It doesn't matter if this is your first time here at Hui College or if it's your thousandth time here, we love you and we're so thankful that you're here. Really, uh, you're here today not on accident. You're here because God brought you here today. 
had the opportunity to talk to several folks around this morning. I have folks visiting from Australia and people visiting from Germany, uh, people visiting from the mainland. I'm thankful for that. I got my mother-in-law visiting here today. How good is that, right? And I, here's the worst part about having a good mother-in-law. I don't have any good mother-in-law jokes. It's just like, she's an awesome lady. I love her to death. And so uh, I'm glad she's here. Uh, it's like the attorneys that I know are really solid dudes that, that love Jesus. And so I don't have any good attorney jokes either, which is a major bummer. Uh, but um, but regardless of where you're from or how long you've been here, you're loved here because we're big about people here. And I hope it, from the first time you walked in the door, you felt loved and accepted here at Huicala because uh, that's what the church is all about. The third thing that we're really big on here is we're big on the Bible. We love the Bible. It's God's word cover to cover. Genesis to Revelation is the story of Jesus and how good he is to us, and we make a big deal about the Bible. Every single time you come here, we're gonna open the Bible, we're gonna talk about the Bible, we're going to uh, discuss it and what it means to us, how it applies to us. The Bible is not some book that was written thousands of years ago that has no relevance today. The Bible is a living book, and it is the word of God. And it is your guidebook and my guidebook for life. And so we make a big deal about the Bible here. Uh, that's why the last several weeks we've been taking a look at some kind of heavy passages. Husbands, you need to rise up and lead your family well and love them and serve them and sacrifice for them. Wives, you need to love and honor and submit to your husband and trust his leadership and affirm his leadership and walk with Jesus and encourage him as he walks with Jesus. That's kind of hard stuff to say in today's society, but it's what the Bible says, so we just go ahead and say it. We love the Bible. Fourth thing that we love, we love the local church. We believe that the local assembly of Christians is the most powerful force on planet Earth. That when we gather together as the army of Christ to do battle, there's nothing that we cannot accomplish. We believe that the local church is God's institution for world change. It's a big deal. We're not meant not just to gather together on Sundays, sing some songs and go home. No, we're meant to get together to change the world. He said, do you really believe that can happen? 100%. You read the book of Acts, there were 12 guys that walked with Jesus, and the Bible says they took the world and they turned it upside down. What would happen if we had, I don't know, three or four dozen folks who really were sold out and committed to Jesus, we gathered together, banded together to do the work that God's called us to do, and we took the Bible seriously, we took the local church seriously, we took our mission seriously. What could happen with an assembly like that? I believe we could change the world, no doubt about it. So we're big about the local church, and that's what we're taking a look at today. Jesus' relationship to the church. Now, the first question we have to ask ourselves is, what is the church? We always need to define terms when it comes to it. The church is a called-out body of believers that are identified by our faith in Christ. I know some of you are looking at the notes, and you're looking at the screen. There's no, no slide for this. Um, and so if you want to take notes, it's funny to watch you guys because you're all like, I don't see a blank for that. Am I supposed to write that down? You can write it down if you want to. Uh, the church is a called out body of believers that are united by our faith in Jesus Christ. That's who we are. So if you are a Christian, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, you're a part of the church at large. Now, we also have what's called church membership at who we call a Baptist church. These are folks who have been saved, they've been baptized, and they are committed to living out uh, biblical commandments inside the local church. These are people who have taken their commitment to Jesus to the next level. Uh, our core values of our church are love, pray, give, serve, invest. And our church members are the people who take those things seriously, they commit to those things, and it really becomes their life. Uh, our church members are the ones who greeted you on your way in uh, to church this morning. Our church members are the ones who are watching your kiddos in super church and teaching a lesson. Our church members are the ones that are watching your uh, kids in the nursery this morning. Our, our church members are the ones who came in and cleaned yesterday and uh, folded bulletins for you this morning and things like that. These are the folks who just behind the scenes get stuff done. If you're interested in church membership, if you've been saved and baptized, talk to me about it uh, and, and we'll get you on the right track for that. 
But we're talking about today the church. We're talking about the body of believers. It's important to understand too what the church is not. This building is not the church. Sometimes we say, well, stop by the church and, and pick this up. It's a church building. Uh, if this building burns to the ground tomorrow, we're still gonna have the church because the church is the people. And so uh, you and I make up the church. And so when it talks about Jesus' relationship with the church, it's not talking about the, uh, the body uh, as a, a building. It's not talking about the relationship to the church as an idea. It's talking about people. How do you and I as committed Christians together in a group relate to Jesus. That's what this passage is all about. Relationship between Jesus and his church is likened into a husband and a wife. Paul Goosen gives probably one of the most extensive teachings on marriage that's found in all throughout scripture in Ephesians chapter five, the end of chapter five here. But he gets to the end and he says, this is a great mystery. In other words, I was kind of a, telling a story behind the scenes before I come out with it, but I'm actually talking about the way that Jesus and his church interact. And again, if you're not a part of the church, and again, not necessarily a member of who we call a Baptist church, but if you're not saved here this morning, I want you to listen up. This is the most important thing you'll ever hear in your entire life. First of all, you were not born into the church. You were not born into the family of God. You were not born automatically under the uh, family of God umbrella. The Bible says that you and I were born into our sin. Uh, the Bible says uh, in the book of Psalms, uh, David says, in sin did my mother conceive me. From the moment that conception took place, I was a sinner. The Bible says we come forth from our mother's womb speaking lies, that we don't have to teach our children to sin, they just automatically pick it up. If you don't believe it, stop by our nursery, I'd be happy to show you the cutest little sinners you've ever seen in your life. Our daughter Tallulah, she's at almost 20 months now. Uh, her favorite word now, recently, is mine. Nobody's trying to take anything from her. She doesn't even necessarily have to have anything. It's just hers. And my wife's trying to train her. This is awesome. Uh, this is why I, I married like way above my head. And my wife says, no, it's not mine. It's Jesus's. And so every time she goes, mine, my wife goes, no, that's Jesus's. And she goes, Jesus. Like, yes, I love it. I would have never thought of that. That's genius. Absolute genius. I was going somewhere with that. Oh, yeah, sinners. Um, it was important to the story, I remember that. Uh, we've all sinned against God, not just once or twice, not that one thing we did in high school or college that we're not proud of. We sin on a continual basis. God has a standard set for our behavior. You and I constantly fall short. And it's not because we're not good enough to make it to God's standards. It's because you can never keep God's standards if you wanted to, because we are sinners at heart. It's what we do. And so try as we might to change our ways, we're never gonna be able to change our ways on our own. Try as we might to hit God's standard, we will always fall short, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I fall short, you fall short, we're in the same boat. Now, you might fall shorter than I do or I might fall shorter than you do, but the fact of the matter is we all fall short of God's expectation that he has for us. Because we've sinned against God, the Bible says there's consequences for that. The Bible says that our sin has a price that must be paid. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. And when it speaks of death, it's not speaking of the fact that we'll all physically die one day, but the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That you and I will stand before God when this life is over, and we'll have to give an account for our life. The Bible says that it's not a matter of how good you are, how good I am that gets us to heaven. The Bible says that we could never pay for our own sins. And so the only way that we could pay for our sins and go to heaven is to have somebody else pay for us because you're not good enough to pay for your own sins. 
Now, I can't pay for your sins because I have my own sin to pay for. This church cannot pay for your sins because churches can't save anyone. Religious works, baptism, communion, things like that could never possibly save anyone. The only thing that could save us is someone who could pay for our sins who had no sin themselves. There's only one person in the history of man that that would be, and that would be Jesus Christ. The Bible says God loves you so much that he demonstrated his love to you that while you were a sinner, Jesus died in your place. Romans chapter five, verse number eight, paraphrase. Jesus loves you and died in your place, and if you would be willing to allow him to pay for your sins, you could be saved today. You could know for sure that heaven was your home when you die if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Religion won't save you. Church won't save you. Church attendance definitely won't help you. The only hope that you have, the only hope that I have is faith in Jesus Christ for eternity. And so I'd encourage you, if you're here today and you're not for sure that you're saved, you're not for sure that your sins are forgiven, do not leave here until you know for sure. Jesus says no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You and I must be saved to go to heaven. It's the only way. The only way that you can be a part of the church that is speaking of here is faith in Jesus and to, be, uh, to put your faith and trust in Christ and be saved or born again. That automatically places you in this group that we talk about, the church. Now, just like a husband and wife should be faithful to each other, you and I are called to be faithful to Jesus. The Bible likens the, the church to the bride of Christ. And we as his spouse are to be faithful to him. And, and it, it's deep stuff as we begin to unravel this. First of all, Jesus is the head of the church. The Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church the same way that the husband is the head of the wife. Now again, when we look at our, our culture today and what's politically correct, that's an incredibly politically incorrect statement. But it's an incredibly biblically correct statement, the fact that the husband is the head of the wife. Now, if you missed the last two weeks of teaching here at Huikala, you probably feel a little bit uncomfortable with that statement. The husband is the head of the wife? What is this? But if you understand what the idea of he biblical headship means, it means that I get to serve and sacrifice for the good of my wife. It means that I get to love her and lead her and encourage her and help her. And when there's a problem, I get to solve it. That's what it means to be the head of your home. It means to provide leadership, provision, protection for my spouse. That if anything's gonna happen, I'm gonna be the man that takes care of it. And my wife gets to love and serve and encourage me in my role and help me to fulfill that. And so in this idea, the idea here is that Jesus is the head of the church. That means that he, at the end of the day, provides the leadership for the church. Ephesians chapter one, verse number 22, in our study here, we took a look and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. And so if Jesus is the head of the church, then that means that he has promised to lead. Again, husbands, it's your job to lead in your home, but Jesus in the church, he gets to be the one that leads, and he promises to do that. Jesus tells that he, is, that he is the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Again, Jesus isn't the boss that gets to boss people around and tell people what to do. Again, the idea that the husband being the head of the, the wife means that he gets to sit in the recliner with his feet up while she bakes chocolate chip cookies to bring to him isn't a biblical idea of headship either. The idea that the woman is lesser in her role than the man is is not a biblical idea at all. It's just bad teaching or bad culture on marriage. 
the idea here, though, is that Jesus is the head and he promises to provide the leadership and guidance that we need. And we as the church need to be willing to follow that. This begins to break down, though, when the church decides that we don't want Jesus to be the head any longer. We want to do our own thing. Well, I know what the Bible says, but things are different now in, in 2019, and that's way outdated. That was like 2,000 plus years ago. So we've got a new way to do things now. We're going to do it our own way. Jesus can be uh, kind of to the side, and we'll do our own thing over here. We'll talk about Jesus a lot, but what he says doesn't really have that much bearing on us. That's not the idea here. Secondly, Jesus, as the head of the church, not only promises to lead, he also promises to protect. If you remember, we talked about the husband's role as the head of the home. He was to provide godly leadership, provision, and protection. And that's exactly what Jesus does for his church as well. He promises to protect us. Now, Jesus doesn't physically protect us, but he oftentimes spiritually and emotionally protects us. I remember early on in the, in the first days of who we call a Baptist church when uh, we tried to get the folks to come to our church services and it was great every time somebody came. Uh, and to this day, I get fired up every time I see somebody visit uh, who we call a Baptist church and become, be one of our guests. If you're here as a first time guest today, I'm thrilled that you were here. The second I saw you walk in the door, I was pumped to see you still to this day. But what I didn't expect when we first started our church is when, when people would come, they didn't always stay. They would sometimes leave. And that was always a bummer when people left. And so I would get discouraged by that and frustrated by it. And my wife sometimes would encourage me and she'd say, well, sweetheart, maybe this is just what God wants. It's like, God doesn't want anybody to leave our church. Uh, this is one of the best churches in the world. What in the world? Uh, you know? But then I realized a little bit later that maybe God was protecting our church. There were people that weren't supposed to be here, that God moved on to somewhere else. And Jesus has promised to provide the protection that our church needs. And sometimes that's going to be bringing the right people to our church. Sometimes it's causing the wrong people uh, that shouldn't be here to leave. You say, are there people that should leave our church? You should totally read the Bible sometimes. There are people that need to leave our church. Read through the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul says, hey, there's some people that need to leave. I read through the book of Matthew, chapter number 18. There's some people in the church that are causing problems or have sin in their life that need to leave. You got to go. And so there's right people to be in Jesus' church. There's wrong people. Who determines that? Jesus does, and he is the protector of the church. Here's the thing. I love who we call a Baptist church. I, 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 if, you're, if you've been to who we call it for more than one week, I have you on my prayer list, and I pray for you uh, at least once a week, uh, probably every single day. I, I love this church. I live for this church. Outside of being a husband and a father, one of the greatest things I've ever done in my entire life is to be able to be a part of this church family. I love it. I love it. Love it. But at the end of the day, Jesus loves this church more than I do. Jesus is willing to protect this church at all costs because it's important to him. Next, Jesus provides provision. He promises to provide. Jesus says that he'll build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is in charge, I'm not. And while as a pastor, I thoroughly enjoy my role as being a shepherd, the word pastor literally means shepherd, one who guides sheep. It's not my job to tell you what to do. It's not my job to boss you around. It's my job to guide you into to spiritual fruitfulness in your life. That's my, my role. And I, I thoroughly enjoy that role of shepherding and guiding. But at the end of the day, Jesus, the Bible says, is the chief shepherd. Uh, I am subject to him. Uh, again, I'm not, if you're looking at a flow chart for the church, it doesn't go Jesus, pastor, church. It goes Jesus, church, and then the pastor's at the bottom kind of making sure everybody stays following Jesus. Does that make sense? Now, sometimes it's like uh, getting frogs in a wheelbarrow. Sometimes it's like herding cats. Uh, but that's my job, to shepherd and to guide people to follow Jesus Christ. 
So again, the idea that, that you and I get to be the head of the church or that the pastor is the head of the church is not a biblical idea at all. And this is where you begin to see religion really mess up the church. This is where you see false churches, they have this hierarchy that they have where some guy is at the top and we revere him and we reverence him and we, uh, whatever he says goes automatically. Now the Bible says the office of the pastor should be one of honor and respect, but at the end of the day, I'm just a regular dude like you guys. I've got things that I'm working on in my life just like you do. And at the end of the day, our ultimate allegiance is to Christ, Jesus Christ, because he is the head of the church. He's the top dog. So again, any church that puts someone else in charge of the church is not a biblical church. Say that again. Any church that puts any person as the head of the church is not a biblical church because the Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church. He's going to lead, protect, and provide. Secondly, we see in this passage here that the church is the bride of Jesus. If Jesus is the groom, then we are the bride. I know some guys are looking at this, why can't I be the groom? I gotta be the bride, right? It's just, it's not the idea, right? Uh, The idea here is this, Jesus is the head, we're not. That's all you need to know, really. But as the bride of Christ, we have a unique role that we get to fulfill as well. If Jesus is gonna provide leadership, provision, protection, we have a role that just as a wife fulfills in marriage, you and I get to fulfill that in Jesus' church as well. Revelation chapter 21 says, and I, John, saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven and prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That when we get to heaven and we're gathered together, we're gonna be like a bride getting ready to get married to her husband. Paul even goes so far as to say, I was really concerned for you, church at Corinth, because uh, I wanted to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I wanted you to be holy. I wanted you to be without spot and blemish before uh, her husband on that day. So if we are the bride of Christ, what roles do we get to fulfill? First of all, we get to love Jesus. And let me tell you, he's really easy to love. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And let me just help you with this this morning. If you don't love Jesus, you need to check your heart because something's not right there. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, if there's been a time in life where you've been saved or born again, and you don't have a love for Jesus, check your heart and find out what's competing with that. We had, uh, uh, I was talking with the single adults uh, two weeks ago on Friday night. It was a great time we had together. And somebody asked, I'm going to church. I'm listening to, to podcasts. I'm preaching. I'm trying to read my Bible, but I just don't have a desire for the things of God the way that I used to. What's going on? And I shared a story. Angela and I had gone to, um, to Hula Grill uh, several weeks ago, and uh, I had a hula pie. If you've never had a hula pie, do yourself a favor. Go get one as soon as possible. It will help you. For those of you who don't know, it's an incredibly large wedge of ice cream pie, usually vanilla macadamia nut pie. It has an Oreo cookie crust underneath it, and it has a really thick layer of fudge across the top, sprinkled with macadamia nuts, covered completely with hot fudge. Bonus tip, ask for extra hot fudge. It'll change your life, I'm telling you. So we, we, uh, uh, we eat, and we get down to, to, to dessert, and I say, I'll have a hula pie. And I'm thinking to myself, the whole time, Angel's gonna split this with me, right? And so I get it. I'm like halfway through it, and I'm just dead, dead. And I said, babe, you're gonna have to eat the rest of it. She's like, I don't want that. That's nasty. <laughs> well, what am I gonna do with it? You can't just let it sit, Right? It's like $12 for a slice of pie. 
And you can't put it in a box and take it home, you know? So what are you going to do? You sit and watch it melt, or you eat it. And I'm not one to waste food, right? Because my mom told me when I was a kid that there were kids in Africa that they got nothing for dinner, right? And so I'm just telling you, I got to finish it, got to finish it. So I did. Oh, it was awful. I got through it, got to the end, and my wife's like, just stop, just stop. I said, no, I'm almost through it, I'm almost done. I want to finish what I start. We teach our kids, finish what you start and finish well. And so I did. And I'm telling you, I got to the end of that thing. I thought I was going to die. I have a lactose uh, intolerance anyways. <laughs> you, sir, are an idiot. You got it. I agree. Uh, and so I got to the end. I was just like, oh. It was one of those meals that you said to yourself, I'm never going to eat again for the rest of my life. I felt like that. I was just like, oh. I got home, and my stomach hurt. The next day, I don't think I ate until like 2 o'clock the next day. It was awful. But I told our single adults, I said, that night when I got home from Hula Grill, if you had put in front of me a 12-piece chicken nugget from Chick-fil-A with waffle fries, I couldn't have touched it. I just, ugh, just the thought of it. The, the idea of a 32-ounce glass of sweet tea after something like that, it's just like, oh, I can't even think about it. Why? Because I was so full of garbage that I would have no appetite even for the Lord's chicken, right? <laughs> Chick-fil-A is the Lord's chicken. You know that. Right? <laughs> but I was so full of garbage that I wouldn't want something that was actually really good. When you and I fill up with the world's garbage, we have no desire for the things of the Lord. And so that's why I would say, if you don't love Jesus, check what you've been have a steady diet of because if you're eating garbage you're not going to have an appetite for the things of God just simple as that so I need to check my heart and so if you don't love Jesus and again loving Jesus is not this ooey gooey feeling that you have it's not just like oh you know I get these feelings and I want to write a love letter to Jesus that's not loving Jesus okay Jesus said this if you love me keep my commandments I obey Jesus because I love him and if you don't obey Jesus, you don't love Jesus. Simple as that. And if you don't love Jesus, you need to check your heart and find out what's competing with the love for Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll love other people. He asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? He says, of course I do. So then feed my sheep. Three times he told him, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. You have to love people if you love Jesus. So again, it's not just some feeling that I have. It's not when I, when I come to church and we sing my favorite song and I get chicken skin. That's not a love for Jesus. A love for Jesus shows up every other day of the week when I obey what he tells me to do. And that's the role that I get to fulfill. I get to love Jesus because he loves me. I get to follow him. I get to follow his commandments, not because it's a bummer, but because I know this is the path for the greatest joy in my life. The Bible tells us that God's commandments are not grievous to us. It's not a bad thing to follow what the Bible says. That's where we find the greatest joy. We get to love Jesus. The second thing's really important too. We keep ourselves for Jesus. Now, again, I'm not trying to be crude or anything like that, but the Bible speaks clearly uh, that we keep ourselves for Jesus Christ. Verse number 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that we should be holy and without blemish. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, I think the verse is in your notes there, for I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband. I've engaged you to one husband, and that's Jesus that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. 
I'm going to say something to you that probably at, at first is going to maybe uh, bristle you the wrong way. But let me say this. If you are a Christian and you are purposely living in sin and rebellion to God, you're cheating on your husband. You say, come on, let's take a little bit. No, if Jesus is the groom and we are the bride of Christ and we are involved in sin, we're being unfaithful to our husband. And you say, I don't really know if I buy that or not. You need to read the Old Testament. When the children of Israel, <laughs> this is deep. When the children of Israel went after other gods, you know what the Bible called them? It's a Bible word. It called them whores. And they went a whoring after other gods. That type of language is not appropriate in our society today to tell people that you're being a whore. That's just, that's, a, that's as harsh as it gets. Oh, Sally, stop doing that. You're such a whore. We would like, ooh, you can't say stuff like that. But when we go after other gods, the Bible says, you've gone a whoring after other gods. Now, most of us here in this room this morning don't have like a shrine set up in our house where we bring offerings to God and bow down before them and, and truly whore ourselves to other gods. But there are other things that take precedence in our life over the things of Jesus Christ. And we have gone a whoring after other jobs, other gods. And I say that because I thought in my mind as I'm, I'm speaking that, I can't tell you how many people I've counseled that say, well, I'm going to work on Sundays because I get an extra $2 an hour on Sundays. What? You realize how much that is after taxes? You make like a buck and some change for what, an eight-hour shift? You're going to sell God out for less than $15 on Sundays? Really? Well, you know, it's good money. <laughs> Where? How much is it worth to you? And let me tell you this, when you put the things of this world over the things of God, you have gone a whoring after other gods and you're unfaithful to your spouse, which is Jesus Christ. It's not worth it, not worth it. You know, I say, well, I don't work on Sunday, so I guess I'm doing all right. You need to check every other area of your life and make sure that Jesus is number one. Because when he's not, you've been unfaithful to your spouse. So we keep ourselves for Jesus, holy, the Bible says, spotless, without blemish. Just as a wife is not unfaithful to her husband, so we must be faithful to our spouse, Jesus Christ. And again, when we look at marriages, again, the picture of our relationship with Christ is a picture of a husband and wife in a marriage. If a husband came home and picked up his wife's cell phone and there were text messages from another man, I think we would say that that is unfaithfulness to her husband, right? So if we pick up your cell phone and there's things on there that aren't being faithful to Christ, we could say the same thing about your relationship with Jesus as well. Man, I gotta check myself. I gotta check the music that I'm listening to, the movies that I watch, the places I go on the internet, the things that are on my phone. Am I being faithful to Jesus the way that I should or have I been unfaithful in some area? And again, God doesn't take unfaithfulness lightly. It's serious. So we as a church need to make sure that we are on point, walking with Jesus, he's first, keeping ourselves for him and him alone. Next, we trust and affirm his leadership. We can say that he is in charge. And we get to say, man, I just want to be faithful to Jesus because he's in charge. Every time I've ever tried to run my own life, I make a massive mess out of it. Every time I've followed Jesus, things have worked out. Sometimes people say, well, it's not that simple. It really is. Follow what the Bible says and you'll find joy and fulfillment in life. Do things your own way, you'll be greatly disappointed. 
And again, we've taken a look at through this study how husbands, if you provide solid leadership for your family and love and encourage and lead your spouse well and you sacrifice for her and you provide for her and you protect her and, and love her the way that Jesus loves his church, husbands, you'll find fulfillment and joy in that. That wives, if you love your husband and serve him and, and help him to walk with Jesus and affirm his leadership, and even when he's being a knucklehead, if you just choose to pray for him and love him anyways, the Bible says you'll find joy and fulfillment in that. We look at that and we go, mm, I don't really know if I want to do that or not. And husbands are like, my wife does a great job of running the show. I don't want to get in the way there. You know, she's got a good thing going on, stuff like that. Hey, I'm just telling you, you're not going to find the joy and fulfillment in your marriage when you do that. And wives say, well, my husband's a knucklehead. That's why I got to take the reins and, and run the show and, and be the boss and lead our family. Just know you're never going to find God's fulfillment and joy in that situation. And when you and I, Decide we don't want Jesus to run the show. We don't want Jesus to lead. We want to do things our own way. We will never find joy and fulfillment in this life. Just won't. Because God has a plan how it's supposed to work. And when you go against God's plan, it never works out. And I've known people before. So, well, we're, not, we're not following the Lord. and Everything's working out for us for now. It's only a matter of time. And again, I'm not saying you're gonna have some catastrophic failure that's gonna happen in your life. I'm not saying something horrible is gonna happen because you're not following Jesus. I'm saying you might just have an okay marriage instead of a great marriage. You might have a decent walk with Jesus instead of a mountaintop walk with Jesus. You might attend most Sunday services instead of lighting it up for Jesus seven days a week. Again, we're talking good, better, best. And some people are content with good. I want the best. I want the best for you. And as your pastor, it's frustrating to watch people make decisions sometimes that they choose what's not even good for their marriage, for their life, for their walk with Christ, when I know the best is waiting for them if they would step out by faith and trust God and just do it his way. That's where the good stuff's found in following Jesus. What does Jesus expect from us as his bride? First of all, he expects complete devotion. Again, Jesus doesn't want us to have our own little relationship with the world on the side. He doesn't want us doing things our own way. He doesn't want us just to come back to him when we need something. He wants devotion from us. Oftentimes people treat their relationship with God like their uh, spare tire in the back of their car. I think I've got a spare tire. I've never had to use it, but I think it's there in case I do. And the day that I need it, I really hope it comes through for me. We don't need spare tire Christianity. We need like Jesus's all four wheels and the steering wheel, you know? For people say before, well, God is my co-pilot. Man, I don't even want to be the co-pilot. I'm like sitting in the back seat while Jesus drives, right? That's what it means, complete devotion to him in every way. Jesus expects submission. This is hard for us. We don't like the word submit. In our culture, submission means some sort of weakness on your part. Man, pr probably almost 20 years ago now, uh, I used to train at a, a mixed martial arts gym over near Halava, and one of the guys there became friends with uh, was a professional MMA fighter, and he refused under any circumstances whatsoever to tap, to submit ever. In training, uh, in, a, in a real fight, didn't matter, was never going to tap ever. The dude would get choked unconscious, the dude would have his arm broken, he didn't care, he was not going to tap because it showed weakness. 
And somehow we carry over that same mindset into our Christian life that I don't want to submit because that'll show weakness. I'm not going to submit myself to my wife because that means that she'd be right. Let me just tell you, your wife is right a lot of the time if she's anything like mine. I'm not going to submit to God because that means what I've been doing isn't working. Let me just tell you, if you're doing things in opposition to the Bible, it's not working. It's as simple as that. And we find, again, here's the word, joy in submission to Jesus. Angela and I made a decision probably 19 years ago. We said, if God tells us to do something, we're just gonna do it even if we don't agree with it. And I'm telling you, that was a small decision at the time, but it began to grow, and it grew us as Christians, and it grew our faith. And let me just tell you this, that decision we made 19 years ago to be fully submitted to God, whatever he says to do, we're just gonna do it even if we don't agree with it, is the reason why this church exists today because we began to feel that God was leading us back to Honolulu to plant this church in the middle of the city. And we said, if it's what he wants, we're just gonna do it even if we don't agree with it. And here we are. And that decision has played out hundreds of times over the last 19 years. It's the best decision we ever made. And you know what happens often when I submit to God even when I don't want to follow him? I find out that his way is always best. Well, this is the way I should have done it to begin with. And it shows faith in him. Next, Jesus expects holiness. The word holy sometimes gets a bad rap. The word holy is a really good Bible word. It means separate from sin. It means if, if sin is right here, I want to be as far away from sin as I can, separated from sinfulness. Unfortunately, many Christians, if, if this pulpit here is sin, we want to figure out how close we can get to sin without actually touching it. Like, oh, almost there. Oh, look at me, no sin. The idea is if this is sin, I'm gonna be like out in the parking lot somewhere. I'm gonna be like across the street. That's what holiness says. I'm not trying to get as close to sin as I can without crossing the line. I'm trying to get as far away from it as I can. Sometimes helping uh, Christian dating couples will say, well, how far can we go physically before it's too far? You don't need to be asking that question. You need to ask yourself, how far can I stay away and keep myself holy? before God. Let me just tell you this, uh, single adults, if you have sex outside of marriage, you're robbing from the future joy of your marriage. And you're doing things the wrong way and it will never work out. Just know that. So if you're, and again, you might say, well, we've already messed up, we've already made mistakes. Hey, stop today, move forward. Holiness, that's what's expected of you. And again, holiness isn't a drag. This is the best way to live life. Hey, let me just tell you this, my wife, isn't bummed out by the fact that she's married to a guy who wants to walk in holiness? She's not bummed out by that. She's thankful that she can trust me because she knows that I'm following after Jesus. She doesn't have to worry about when she picks up my phone what she's gonna see. You know why? Because I made a decision to walk in holiness. She doesn't have to wonder who I'm texting late at night because she knows that I'm walking in holiness. And she has a question. She knows she can look at my phone anytime she wants to and read any message on there that she wants to. Why? Because I wanna walk in holiness. And Jesus expects that from me. This is like minimum requirements of what Jesus expects from us. Next, Jesus expects purity. And purity is not just in the actions that I perform, but it's in the thoughts that I think, the attitude that I have. And if I'm supposed to keep myself and myself for Jesus alone, then that means I cannot buddy up to the things of this world means I cannot be enamored by the things that this world has to offer. I'm keeping myself for Jesus. I'm keeping myself purely, 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 
and holy before him. So for you and I, how do we fulfill this in our church? First of all, walk with Jesus. If you remember, husbands, your job to lead your wife was to walk with Jesus. Wives, to help and submit your husband to walk with Jesus. Us as the church, our only way that we're gonna be able to do this is to walk with Jesus. And again, the more that you walk with Jesus, the more time you spend in the word, the more time you spend in prayer, the more time you spend in private worship and praise before God, the more your heart will desire the things of God and your whole, your whole mindset will change. Secondly, submit to his headship. He's the boss, I'm not. I don't need to ask myself today, what do I wanna do? I need to ask myself every day, what would Jesus have me do? I don't need to ask myself, what should I do with this situation? I should ask myself, what would Jesus have me do with this situation? I don't need to ask myself, should I pursue this relationship? I need to ask myself, would Jesus want me to pursue this relationship? I don't have to ask myself, do I think it's a good idea to do this? I need to ask myself, would Jesus think it's a good idea to do this? Because he's in charge and I'm submitted to his headship and his leadership in my life. Number three, submission is obey him when you don't feel like it. I really can't overstate this because the majority of Christians will never reach their potential because they follow Jesus when they feel like it. They come to church when it's convenient for them, when they didn't stay up too late on a Saturday night or when uh, the kids are already up and moving around, so I guess we could go to church on Sunday mornings. You know, we might make it to Bible study on Wednesday night if we got nothing else going on. And we just kind of follow Jesus whenever we feel like it. I'll read my Bible if I get up early and I'm not tired. I don't know about you, but I don't like getting up early. I always feel tired. So if I follow Jesus when I feel like it, let me just help you. You'll never follow Jesus. It's contrary to what your flesh wants to do. The Apostle Paul even said it this way. And we would say, Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians of all time, right? You know what Paul would say? I'm this chief of sinners. Like I'm as bad as they get. And here's what he said. He said, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. And I know the things I'm not supposed to do, and those are the things that I do. Left to my flesh, it's gonna automatically drift from God. So I have to choose to walk with God and obey him when, even when I don't feel like it. And let me just tell you this. This will help you so much in your life. When your feelings don't match up with the Bible, your feelings are wrong. When your feelings don't match up with the Bible, your feelings are always wrong. And you look at that and you go, well, my heart just tells me. The Bible says your heart will deceive you, that it's so wicked you don't even know the depths of your own depravity. Your heart will lead you astray every single time. The last thing that you can trust is your heart. Last thing. And when my emotions don't match up with the Bible, I need to tell my emotions to get themselves in check. Because my emotions, when they conflict with the word of God, my emotions are always wrong. Four, love what Jesus loves. When I met my wife, um, the first time the Olympics came around, I was so excited about the Olympics. We're gonna watch basketball, that was fun. Watch boxing, that was a blast. You know, watch two guys just hammer each other's heads into oblivion. This is awesome. You know what I realized? My wife didn't want to watch basketball or boxing when it came time for the Olympics. You know what she wanted to watch? Swimming and gymnastics. Okay, dudes in Speedos is not my thing. 
Secondly, dudes in tights is not my other thing, right? So I'm not enjoying either one of these. And so the first time I'm just like, oh, this is the dumbest thing known to man, right? But I realized she actually enjoyed it. And she wanted me to enjoy it too. She what I learned to do, I learned to enjoy it too. And so many times against my will, I've watched with a good attitude, here's the idea, with a good attitude, I've watched gymnastics, I've watched uh, swimming and things like that, even I didn't enjoy it, but she does, and I want her to enjoy what she enjoys. Here's a crazy thing too. When I met my wife, I didn't like Panda Express. And she, I just decided to love what she loves, and man, orange chicken, can't get away from it now, I'm just telling you. Why? Because I chose to love what she loves. And again, not, oh, I guess I'll do it fine. No, I want to love what she loves. I want to enjoy things with her. And I want her to enjoy the things that I enjoy together. You know, my wife became a Lakers fan. How awesome is that, you know? And, and she was there. Uh, she, she, she cooked uh, one year for my, my birthday. She made a Lakers cake and Lakers cupcakes because the Lakers were in the playoffs. It tells you how long ago that was. Uh, but... Um, <laughs> She became a Lakers fan. She, she couldn't care less about basketball, but she watches it. Why? Because she knows that, that we love it as a family. Here's the idea. What does Jesus love? I want to love that too. You know what Jesus loved? He loves the word of God because he was the word of God. You know what Jesus loved? He loves people. The Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He loves sinners, lost people. You and I need to love lost people. You know what else Jesus loved? Jesus loved his church. The Bible says he loved his church and gave his life for it. He purchased the church with his own blood. And so whatever's a big deal to Jesus is automatically a big deal to me. If you remember when we started, we make a big deal about Jesus because we love him. Second of all, we love people. Third of all, we love the Bible. Fourth, we love the local church. You know why? Because those are the things that Jesus is all about. All about him. So that's what I'm all about. You know, and honestly, at the end of the day, we've never had a church basketball team. We've never had a church softball league. You know why? Because the Bible doesn't say that Jesus died for his church softball teams. It didn't happen. <laughs> and as a kid growing up, again, in a, a very hypocritical church, I saw a lot of nasty stuff take place on a softball team. We had a, a basketball team for a while at our church where we played in a church basketball league. And the, uh, the only way that you could play on the church basketball league was if you actually attended church. And so when church basketball season came around, there were these like 10 guys, six foot plus, that would always sit on the back row. They wouldn't talk to anybody. They slept most of the time. And then as soon as they said, uh, all right, let's stand for a distancing order of prayer, they'd bolt out the back door. And when church basketball season was over, these six foot plus guys never came back to church ever again. That's not the idea of church. Jesus didn't die for a basketball league. He died for people. He died for sinners. He died so we could make him known. The mission of the church is not to have a good time. The mission of the church is to change the world. Man, that's why we do what we do. That's why we love what Jesus loves. Final thought. We commit to building up the church. If we truly believe that this is the organization and the organism that God created to change the world, we need to put every resource that we have into it to building it up. How do we build up the church? Because, first of all, the church exists of the people in this room. So we need to build up one another, encourage one another, help one another. We see somebody that hadn't been in a couple weeks, say, hey man, I miss you. Everything good with you guys? We should get together and grab coffee this week. Love to talk with you about what I read in my Bible this week. Build each other up. Hey, it's great to see you. I've noticed you've been faithful the last four weeks. Keep it up. Hey, how can I pray for you this week? That builds up the church. Again, I'd encourage you if you're not a member of who we call Baptist Church to commit to church membership. Commit to love, pray, give, serve, invest, and allow God to use your life here. It's funny, um, early years of our church, I was talking to a, 
a young lady who was attending our church, and she was, she was faithful, and I asked her, I said, hey, have you ever thought about joining our church via church membership? She goes, oh, I'm only gonna be here for three years, so I don't wanna get too involved. I was like, three years? And at the time, our church was like 18 months old. I was like, I would love a three-year commitment. That would be awesome. But then I met other folks who were like, hey, we've only got like six weeks left here before we move on, but we wanna be church members so that we can serve while we're here. We want God to use us here. And I love that spirit of regardless of how long God has you here, whether it's another six weeks or another six years, would you put your roots down and begin to grow here? You'll see the greatest fruitfulness in your own Christian life when you commit to the local body of Christ because we need each other. There's some folks in this room today that are struggling and you need somebody to come alongside you and just encourage you. There's some folks in here that have gone through a struggle and you're stronger now on the other side of it. You could lend a hand and help somebody else. Whatever the case, we need each other. That's why we exist most important thing in the world here today is if you don't know for sure that you're saved, you're not 100% sure that when you die, heaven is your home, please don't leave here without knowing that because church attendance will never take you to heaven. Being a good person will never take you to heaven. It requires faith in Jesus Christ alone as your Lord and Savior. It's the only way that you can be saved. And so I'd encourage you if you're here today, you don't know for sure that heaven is your home, that you make sure of that today. For the rest of us that know for sure that we're saved and we're on our way to heaven, hey, let's commit to Jesus' church and change the world together.